kind of starts with really being gentle with yourself, really accepting the full range of your humanity, welcoming your feelings, not thinking that that's treating them as the enemy. Hi, this is Shashi Saluna from Tantra Made Easy, and today I'm really excited because I am chatting with someone who I met in fantastic circumstances. I was sitting in a little cafe in Shanghai with my beloved, and we were loving each other up. I went and sat on his lap, and this wonderful man at the table next to us introduced himself and ended up sharing with me his book. Uh, which I could not put down once I started to read it. So I'm very excited to be introducing John Amadeo, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California. And he is the author of four books, which are Being Intimate, Love and Betrayal, The Authentic Heart, and the one that I read, which is Dancing with Fire. So John, welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be with you again. <laughs> so I was so thrilled to be given your book and to read it because you immediately embrace a topic that I think is so profound, which is how do we um, kind of find our way between our spiritual yearning to kind of become just a pure witness consciousness and all of that with our human yearnings for a connection and relationship. Right. So what, what is it that made you interested in this topic? How did it come about to be in your life? Well, when I was in my early 20s, I was actually 19 or 20. I was in a sensitivity group where people would talk about their feelings. And people in that group would say, well, those spiritual people, you know, they're just navel gazers. They're, you know, they're just um, some kind of woo-woo kind of a land. And then the spiritual people would kind of judge the people who went to feelings as, you know, love addicts or lovey-dovey kind of people. And, and um, they didn't really understand the big picture, what life is really about, which is about spirituality and transcendence and, and this beautiful connection with God that we can have. So I was kind of on both paths and they didn't quite meet. So my whole life since I've been 20 is about trying to integrate the spiritual path with the path of love, relationships, and how to deal with our human feelings, you know, and our shadow, the shadow part of ourselves. Mm -hmm. oh, I just, I so love that you've gone into this because for myself, I was a Buddhist when I was sort of 18, 19 at university. And then I was into this non-dual Advaita stuff. And it was all, I just felt so spiritually, like I was 20 and I thought I was completely enlightened. And then I fell in love and <laughs> I found that I'm like arguing over who didn't do the washing up. When a moments ago, I'm sitting on my cushion feeling like I am that, I'm the invincible perfection. And I realized, oh, I haven't quite got it. Like I thought I had really got it, but <laughs> somehow I've still got this everyday life. So I, I just love that that's something that you share so wisely about, as I think many people probably stumble on that, right? Yes, well, that's, that was very humbling for you. Huh? This, we, kind of, we kind of crashed into our humanity thinking we've got this... We're in this kind of transcended place. And, and then, um, yeah, when, 
when our partner leaves the, the plates in the sink and doesn't wash their dishes, then we get all upset about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Your humanity kicks in over the most ridiculous things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, our anger comes up and our feeling betrayed or whatever comes up. And, uh, so how and we get very righteous, we get very attached. How do you feel these two things can resolve? Because you're right, like people tend to pick one path or the other very often. Like you get all the spiritual people who can only do what they do in a monastery without a relationship. And then you get the people who choose relationships. So how, how do we start to fit all of that together? Well, I think we can begin to understand that spirituality is all about relationships. It's about, our, it's about moving beyond ourselves, it's about connecting with the life outside of ourselves, not getting so caught up in our own self-centered, narcissistic kind of world and opening to this beautiful, amazing mystery of life, this, this, this sense of grace, this love that's really out there for us in the, in the universe. And so I think the doorway is to really honor our humanity, to be with our experience as we're feeling it from moment to moment, just really be in our bodies. Uh -huh, yeah. And spirituality is about embodying it. It's not about just having it in our heads. You know, it's easy to think we're enlightened or think we're in this transcended, non-dual place. Yeah. What it becomes like a construct. You know, we we think we're living the spiritual life, but it's it's like all in our head. It's yeah. not Embodied. <laughs> so to embody it, we have to go through the path of feelings and noticing our desires and our longings, working with those very human feelings and hearing the wisdom that they contain for us mm -hmm. and the direction they have for us if we open to them and listen very carefully to what they're trying to tell us. So desire is something that, of course, you know, we hear about in Buddhism and other religions that desire is the, the anti-spiritual in a way. It's the thing that if you follow it, it's going to pull you down from grace. And, you know, yet it is... It is so much the essence of our humanity, isn't it? So how can somebody who's trying to develop their spirituality deal with, with just desires that are arising? Right. It's a really good question. You know, in Buddhism, there's a word, tana, T-A-N-H-A, which is considered to be the cause of suffering. And often it's been translated as desire. So people often think desire is what causes suffering and we have to eliminate or transcend our desire. But that word tana really means craving. It's really clinging and craving that creates suffering, not the desire itself. Desire is simply the life force that's in us. You know, we desire food, we desire love. We, it's, a, it's a beautiful experience to have desire in us. The trick is how do we work with desire in a skillful way? Mm -hmm. Right. How do we engage with it with skill and grace? And, and that's why I call the book Dancing with Fire. How do we dance with that desire in a way where we don't get burned or burn other people? <laughs> right. So in a way, you mentioned shadow earlier. It's like if we make our desire more conscious, then instead of it controlling us, we can, we can dance with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, work with it. It's... Uh, you know, kind of play with it, have fun, fun with it. And, but be careful, you can, you can get burned if you're not. <laughs> we have to be discerning also, we have to have boundaries. You know, we have to you know, be open, be trusting to some, you know, be trusting, but also be discerning. You know, who can we trust? You know, find people we can really connect with and, and uh, who are mature enough to get us, to appreciate us, to see us as we are, and who can 
honor our feelings without judging us or shaming us. Mm-hmm. So and, like making a safe space to explore our desire. Yeah, find, yeah, we need to find a safe place to do it. Because if we do it with someone who's not safe, who's it tends to have a judgmental attitude, then we're going to feel, okay, I better keep it all inside again. Mm-hmm. We need to find people we can trust to just be ourselves with, who accept us, embrace us as we are. And that mirroring gives us an opportunity to really open to the full range of our feelings and desires and feel safe to open to the fullness of who we really are mm. and really honor that within ourselves and have that resonance between us and a person who really appreciates that and mm. wants to open to that also. And have their sacred vulnerability with us. Mm. Ah, I love it. So can I talk about or ask you about another Buddhist concept that I think causes a lot of difficulty, which is the word attachment. Mm. You know, like it's this like word that bounces around the spiritual world, like it's this bad thing. But yet in our humanity, it seems that we naturally form attachments to our parents, our friends, our loved ones. So how, what's, what do you think is the way to navigate that one as a spiritual human? Well, maybe some of the people listening have heard about attachment theory. It's a very popular school of psychology. It actually developed in the 1950s, but only recently has become more popular with neuroscience and studying the brain and realizing that humans are wired for connection. Attachment really means connection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, John Bowlby, who developed this, he didn't, at first he wanted to call it a theory of love, but he didn't think that would be scientific enough. So he called it attachment theory. Ah. And there was a lot, but there's a lot of good scientific research behind it that we're wired with a need for connection. And if, and if, if babies, if infants, or children don't get that healthy connection, they don't develop a secure internal base. They become anxious, they become depressed, they act out, they become angry. Um, so we need that as children, and we need that as adults too. We need healthy connections to thrive. There's a ton of research on that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need healthy human relationships for our immune system to function well. So there's nothing wrong with human connection. We just have to work with it skillfully. And yeah, we get attached. We, but it's a difference between healthy attachment and unhealthy attachment. You know, one healthy attachment might be like we, we just cling so much that one person is our source of salvation and we don't develop a life apart from that relationship, for example. Mm-hmm. And we also need friends. We need to develop a creative life apart from the partnership. You know, we need maybe find some fulfillment in our work or in nature or in our creative writing, or going to a dance class, or doing yoga, or meditation. We need practices that help us stay connected to ourselves and to life. And then we have friendships, we have a partnership also, and it all just, there's a synergy there. It all resonates really nicely together. So the attachment can be if we cling so much to one person, for example, that we say, no, you can't go out with your friends. I need you to be with me tonight, you know? You can't have a life. (laughs) <laughs> your life <laughs> and the person is going to feel stifled they're not going to feel free right love needs to survive it needs to thrive in a climate of freedom openness right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so just going on like a step from that another concept in spirituality is or not so much concept but it's like around identity like many um when i, I used to travel india a lot and many of the spiritual seekers, we would, I changed my name, we would change our names, but leave our countries, leave our culture and go sit in a monastery on a mountain. This whole sense of like leaving our identity to find our spiritual self. And yet when you're in a relationship with someone, 
it's kind of reinforcing your identity. So there's also a bit of a contrast there. Do you have advice for people who want to be in a relationship, but also want to explore themselves beyond their identity? Well, yeah, being, I think we, we thrive more when we're in relationship. We're wired to, to connect with each other. You know, our limbic brain, we're mammals. We need connection. So, so we need that. And, and there's a longing for some kind of transcendence. There's a longing to, to move beyond ourselves. It gets kind of boring just to be in here and isolated in our own, our own being and body. So, yeah, spiritual practices that help us open up, like meditation, yoga, things that help us kind of free us up inside. And, and, and I, I like an approach called focusing. I use that a lot in my work, which Eugene Jenlin developed. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a mindfulness practice, a way to really be in our body and, and listen really closely to what our feelings are and how they live in our body. I mean, I mean, God, I mean life kind of speaks to us through our feelings and through our body. You know, it's almost like God speaking to us through our feelings. And if we listen to our feelings, we kind of get messages about how to how to move in life, how to maybe something we need to communicate to a person that we've been holding inside, for example, and we're getting all tight in our stomach because we're holding a lot of uh, tension, maybe a lot of anger or fear or hurt or shame that we, that we felt in relation to someone. We need to talk about it, to, to express it, to release it. So mm -hmm. it's kind of integrating the human with the spiritual to notice our feelings, have spacious conversations with somebody without blaming them. You know, like Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication approach is really helpful. Yeah. Skillful ways to communicate our feelings, our longings with each other, and to really slow down and really hear each other without getting defensive. Mm -hmm. You know, without, without feeling like we're being attacked. Mm -hmm. So you think it's a good idea then, if you're in a relationship, you have some time to go and do your spiritual practice and have your transcendence, and then come back and integrate that into your feelings and the things that are happening in the relationship. I think it's a movement. It's a creative movement between the two, having your spiritual practice, ways to really to breathe, to go inside your own being, to connect with your own energy. So what that helps you do, it helps on many levels, but one thing it helps is it helps you with a thing that we call self-soothing in psychology, the capacity to soothe yourself. Because things don't always go our way in relationships, yeah. as people might have discovered, right? <laughs> yeah. So what are you going to do? You're going to kind of shake your partner. You're going to yell at them. You're going to blame them, attack them when things don't go your way. No, you need to come back to your body, take a breath, come into your body, notice the tension you might be feeling. And, and that's a way to kind of soothe yourself, to develop some spaciousness around your feelings so you don't just become reactive. Mm -hmm. So then you can respond rather than just react. Mm. A little more centered, a little more balanced, a little more connected to your body, to your being. And you get more of a sense of, okay, what am I really feeling and what is this about? Well, maybe I felt hurt by something my partner said the other day. And I didn't let them know that I felt hurt about that. And now I'm, it's kind of segued into anger and, and withdraw, or withdrawing, shutting down from my partner. Because we're not willing to find the courage and we don't have the mindfulness to communicate what we're feeling. It takes really two things, mindfulness, being aware of what we're feeling, and it takes courage mm -hmm. to be able to honor what we're feeling and, and to express it. And it takes skill. So we do it in a skillful way, not an attacking, blaming, violent kind of way. So all those things, skills need to be developed. Right? That's, yeah, right. That's the practice. <laughs> I mean, the spiritual practice is about integration, integrating these things, integrating our, our body, our feelings into our spiritual path, not trying to push it aside or 
you know, what's called spiritual bypassing. You just mm -hmm. kind of bypassing all these feelings, thinking that we're, you know, pushing away something that's uncomfortable over here so we can be over here where we think we should be in the spiritual place. But no, the spiritual place is right here in our body, in our being, honoring what we're feeling right now and hearing what it's trying to tell us and, and so, working with that. So in fact, what you're sharing is that if we have a strong spiritual practice, it actually, it's something that benefits our relationship because we can come back to our relationship with more self-awareness. And I love this self, this self-soothing. It's like a kind of form of self-love, right? That then we all don't need our partner to always be pleasing us <laughs> or doing the right thing. We can right. take care of ourselves, center ourselves, and then come um, with, like you say, better skill set to communicate instead of just being reactive. And they're more likely to please us if, we, if we're really in ourselves and we communicate from that more loving, centered, kind kind of a place. Yeah, yeah. Communicating our longing, you know, maybe we feel hurt because we... Um, you know, because we didn't get the attention we needed or something, we didn't feel like something was heard that we wanted to express that was important to us. And maybe we need to find a different way to say it. So yeah, we need to learn to communicate with our partner and with our friends. Mm -hmm. The practice that you described earlier on focusing, it sounds like this is really helpful for that. How, how does somebody do that? How do they get this kind of self-awareness? Is there a particular form to that practice? Um, yeah, there's, there are books on focusing. There's a website, focusing.org. My first book, Being Intimate, is all about focusing and how it applies to relationships. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's not a print, but it's still available. People can find it used or whatever. Um, that book came out in 1986, so it's been out for quite a while. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, but focusing is based on really good research into what makes psychotherapy effective. You know, when people are growing in therapy, what's really happening? Yeah. So Eugene Gentleman, he worked. He worked. He used to work with Carl Rogers. He worked with Carl Rogers, who, you know, founder of humanistic psychology. Yeah. And Carl Rogers was his teacher for a long time. So what Gentleman found for this research is that when people were growing in therapy, what was happening? They were slowing down their speech. They were going inside themselves. They weren't just in their heads intellectualizing. They were connecting with their felt sense. Mm -hmm. Is the word that Gentleman coined, which is kind of a popular term these days. Yeah. They're connecting with their bodily felt sense and, and kind of struggling, you know, trying to find the right words that express their feelings. And then when they, they found something that really fit, that resonated with their felt experience, then they could, it, something shifted inside them. They had what generally calls a felt shift, something opened up. So you can really see it as a mindfulness practice, being mindful of what we're really feeling in our body. And, and Jenlin emphasizes he didn't invent focusing, he just observed it in these naturally gifted clients who are making wow. progress in therapy. You know, we all do it to some extent. Some people do it more than others. So he developed it into steps and into a process that other people could learn just mm -hmm. to kind of fine tune it. So, you know, it involves noticing how you're feeling in your body, maybe asking a question, you know, what's getting in the way of feeling at peace right now or feeling good right now or mm -hmm. feeling free right now. And then you kind of know what's getting in the way right now. So it's kind of like a meditation practice. And, and people do it in pairs and partners, or they do it with their therapist if the therapist knows focusing, or people can do it with each other if they all know focusing, if they both know focusing. So, yes, yeah, it's a very gentle, it's, it's a way to be friendly and gentle with the full range of your feelings. So, in fact, the mindful, the object of your mindful meditation is your own inner process and energy and emotions and whatever's going on. 
That's so, right. It's very similar to the, the four, four foundations of mindfulness in Buddhism. There's mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of body. So this is yeah. It with some of the basic principles of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's a perfect integration from what I'm hearing between your spiritual self and your human self, because your spiritual witness consciousness is witnessing your human experience, right? So you're you're directly bringing those two things together. It's a perfect, yeah, it's a perfect blend of spirituality and. Uh, connecting spirituality with our humanity yeah because you're really honoring your feelings but you're doing it with kind of a spaciousness around your feelings mm -hmm. so you're finding the right distance from your feelings not too close where you're so merged with them that you're overwhelmed by your feelings maybe re-traumatized by old feelings but you're not so distant from that you're dissociating yeah yeah detached from them that you're just pushing them away and you're bypassing your human feelings so you're developing a spaciousness around your feelings so you can be with them in a safe kind of way. Maybe somebody's sitting with you too while you're kind of helping be with you while you're focusing on, your, on, on what's happening in yourself. And they're holding a space for you, which can be helpful. And then, yeah, you notice your feelings. You just be friendly to, to them, gentle, accepting, not shaming yourself. You grew up with so much shame, thinking yeah. something's wrong with me for feeling this way. I shouldn't be feeling angry. I shouldn't be afraid. I'm not very spiritual if I'm feeling afraid or sad, right? Yeah. What's wrong with me? So that's crazy making, right? It's just human. Everybody has feelings. You know, it's not like we're trying to get to some enlightened state where we have no feelings anymore. We're not going to be sad anymore. An enlightened state means we're able to have a relationship with those feelings. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so that they don't kind of get us and we don't get, you know, they don't attach to us so much that they're so destructive for us, you know. It's, you know, the path of enlightenment, it can be very similar to the quest for romantic love. You know, we think we're going to fall in love and live happily ever after. <laughs> the spiritual path, I'm going to come enlightened. I'm going to live happily ever after. I'm going to be in this enlightened state. I'm not going to be bothered anymore by these pesky feelings of sadness or anger or loneliness. You know, that's ridiculous, right? It's what you mean. It's okay to have those feelings. Just, you know, don't take them so seriously, maybe. Just know it's part of your humanity. Feelings come and go, as the Buddhists wisely teach. Everything's permanent. So the feelings are going to come. They're going to go. They're going to pass. And they're more likely to pass and we're more likely to learn from them if we simply make space for them, just let them be. Don't judge ourselves for them. Be gentle with them. Find friends who can accept us for having those feelings. We can share them with people and say, oh, tell me more. Oh, I understand. I know what, I know what that feels like. I've had those feelings too. Mm. It normalizes it, you know, and then the feelings can pass and then we come back to being in this more rich, you know, spacious, open, beautiful place. <laughs> I love that you share this because I was really in this Advaita circle in India um, back in 2000. Everybody did this satsang Advaita thing uh, from the lineage of Ramana Maharshi. And I remember when someone would feel emotions, other people would say, it's just a story, it's not who you are. And it was so annoying. Like it was like, you know, it, it, you just completely negated. And, and with all of this sort of spiritual talk, and I, I realized, I thought, well, okay, the, these feelings might not be true. They're not the essential truth, but they're totally valid. And it's what makes me who I am. And it's actually the most beautiful thing. You know, our emotions, our music and films that make us cry and weeping at someone's funeral who we loved. And, you know, I, it's like, I wouldn't want a life without those emotions. So I realized I need to find another spiritual path that doesn't negate 
the entire human experience. <laughs> I think that's the cutting edge right now in the world. You know, how do we integrate these feelings and the human experience with our spiritual experience? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so beautiful to hear you say, you said that so clearly. It's beautiful to hear you express that. I think, I think you're right. There is a sort of global shift because uh, I, it made me laugh so much when you said people seek enlightenment to be happy ever after because <laughs> I so know that scene and... Uh, and it's as disappointing as the dream that, a, that, that you know, falling in love will do that. And, um, and what you describe, of course, is something that is a real happy ever now, really, rather than happy ever after. Because whatever's arising now, um, if you can learn to meet it with love, then that's going to be a better scenario, really, isn't it? <laughs> Beautifully said. Yeah, then we're not kind of bothered by these things. They come, they pass. It's not the end of the world. It's... <laughs> It's, it's a beautiful thing to have these, and it really connects us to each other. You know, we all have these feelings. It's part of our humanity. So I think we're supposed to transcend them or not have them or something's wrong with us. We're not being spiritual enough. Because I hear this a lot from my clients, for example, who are on a spiritual path. They think something's wrong with them for having these pesky feelings. And I just really try to disabuse them of that. Say, no, it's really human. It's important to just recognize them, be friendly to them, be gentle with them, hear what they're trying to say. And, and then they tend to pass. If you quickly just dismiss them, you know, you're kind of doing violence to yourself. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or to each other, of course. And you're shaming yourself, and you're sh actually shaming other people by telling them, oh, you should just let go of that feeling, you know. That's just a story. Don't let it go. It kind of shames people. It gives them the message, oh, something's wrong with me for having this feeling. Right. I, I totally recognize that. Because <laughs> I'm having this feeling. I know. I get horrified. Oh, my God. What's wrong with me for having these feelings? Jeez. <laughs> I haven't been doing my spiritual practice well enough. i got to do more meditation now to sit more. <laughs> it's not going to work. You need, you need to find a slightly, just a slight shift in your attitude. Your just slight adjustment to apply your mindfulness to the feelings. Mm -hmm. Be gentle with them. They're like, you know. It's like being with kind to your inner child. You don't want to be violent to children. You want to be violent to your inner child. So, okay, well, tell me more. What is that feeling about? Just, mm. It's really being gentle, being kind to that feeling. Okay, I really hear you. You're feeling sad right now. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Let's just be with you and just be gentle with you. And it's fine. It's, it's okay to feel sad. You know, maybe you're grieving about something, the loss of a relationship or whatever. Yeah, that's sad. You know, it's okay for it to be sad. Mm. Just being gentle with that place. Oh, yeah, that person criticized it. If I kind of hurt, how to feel criticized? It's okay. You just be with that head. But, but, but then, but then re, maybe remind them, but you know, you're a good person. You have a good heart. And, and that's maybe more about them than about you. So. <laughs> and it it's, so lovely to, it's lovely to hear you speaking this way of like, this is how we should, when we're having an inner dialogue, it, if it's more gentle and loving. Because mm -hmm. I think sometimes I, I've often thought, the way people relate with someone else is often the way they relate with themselves. Like exactly. if they judge a lot of other people, they're actually judging themselves very harshly. Mm -hmm. They shame others. They're feeling ashamed themselves, right? So if mm -hmm. we learn how to speak the way you were just demonstrating to our own feelings, then presumably we're, we're going to start doing that with other people, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. yeah if we're judging, blaming, shaming other people, and so, even in some subtle way, we're probably doing that to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of starts with being, being gentle with yourself, freely accepting the full range of your humanity, welcoming your feelings, not mm -hmm. thinking that, not treating them as the enemy and keeping them at arm's length and pushing them away. Mm -hmm. okay. you know, there's a saying by Thoreau that I really like. He says, when a dog comes charging at you, whistle for it. 
mm. when a dog comes charging at you, whistle for it. <coughs> so that, I interpret that as, you know, feelings are coming. Okay, you know, I can, I can deal with you. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit of an extreme kind of an example. But okay, I'm feeling sad. It's okay, just kind of let the feeling be there and welcome it and, and not, you know, not be violent to it, not be aggressive to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting you say that because I think sometimes the biggest struggle is resistance. You know, if we're resisting the feelings that are there, that's mm-hmm. the actual nightmare. And just allowing suddenly allows things to move somehow, doesn't it? That's it's right. Yes. Going on, isn't there? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I think a lot of it is about movement. How are things going to begin to move and shift in us? What's going to be a forward movement? That's a focusing term, like finding what a forward movement might be for us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's the difference between mo- trying to get rid of a feeling and allowing it to come through, right? Yeah, letting it come through, just welcoming it, being with it in a general way, hear what it might be trying to tell us. And uh, it's a way to live with a lot more ease and a lot more inner peace to just make room for the feelings instead of kind of being on guard, <coughs> pushing them away or thinking something's wrong with us for having them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow, I love it. So in, in, in summary, um, I, it sounds to me like what would be a healthy re- sort of model for a relationship would be for each uh, individual to spend time with themselves in this kind of meditation that's actually paying attention to what's going on in their inner world. And also not only listening to it, but loving it. I like that it, you are not only just sort of observing it, but then also soothing it and comforting it when that's needed. And by practicing that awareness and that self-love, then learning how to bring that to one's partner when needed. Is that a good summary of your model? Good. And, and I would include the community too, to you know, find people you can share your true self with, because we need friends, we need connection. Yes. You know, taking refuge in the, in the Sangha is one of the refuge vows in Buddhism, taking refuge in the Buddha, the, you know, the truth, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the community. Yeah. So to build community, find community, find like-minded people who accept us as we are. And we can share our feelings with, that can soothe us too. Yeah, yeah. And we can take the peace that comes from that back to our partner. Yeah. Share yeah. with your partner. If you have a partner who can re- really hear you, that's a beautiful too thing to do. Yeah. You know, I think no matter how wonderful your partner is, every connection is so unique, isn't it? And different people reflect different pieces. Right. So it's always so special to have community. Yeah, it's important to have people other than your partner so you can go to process things with and you can come back to your partner and be a little clearer because it's easy to get tangled up emotionally with your partner, especially if your feelings are about them. It's really different to process. (laughs) It's helpful to get a little clarity first and then come to your partner and process something. Yeah. lots of different ways to move with this, yes. Yeah. I love it. You have so much wisdom. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Um, we've, I, I can't believe how quickly time has gone because I just looked at the clock and realized we've been chatting already so long. Um, before we close, what would, how can people find more of you? I can put links to your books and your websites. I'm sure there are people who um, would like more. Is there anything else you offer? Do you, do you, have, a web, you have a website about your work? or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got articles. I, I have a column with Psychology Today, and those articles are free. People can access them through my website. If they know how to spell my name, it's John Amadeo at uh, johnamadeo.com. Okay, I shall write that into the link so people can find you. Okay, johnamadeo.com. 
so people can find my articles there. And, and yeah, you can read about my book, the latest one, the one that you like, Dancing with Fire, A Mindful Way to Loving Relationships. It's out with, out with Quest books. And well, I just want to say, like, from, you know, from the most genuine place of my heart that I recommend this book to everybody who has a relationship <laughs> or even anybody who's been sort of avoiding them. I, I absolutely could not put this book down. And, and I would read a little bit and then ref everything in my life was kind of reflecting it. I absolutely loved your book. And I'm so glad that I met you that day in the cafe. It was very <laughs> magical. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad there's another three books for me to read so i'm gonna i'm gonna start on the next one <laughs> okay yeah such a pleasure to be with you here <laughs> you too thank you so much for your time today my pleasure <laughs>